All right. Uh, anybody here like bowling? Like bowling? We've got one, two, three. Yeah, really like bowling. Okay. <laughs> I won't say that I like bowling. I've been bowling probably, you know, half a dozen times in my life, something like that. But a uh, few years ago, Pastor Sam and I were over in, in Dallas for a pastor's conference. And there, there were some uh, other pastors over there that we knew, and they invited us to go bowling with them. I know you remember this. And so we're headed over there, and, and Pastor Sam is saying, yeah, you know, I'm not really good at this, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not good at it either. I'm not really good at this. I don't, it's just a time to fellowship. And we go in, and this other pastor and his wife, they show up in bowling shirts with their own ball, their own shoes. And I was like, this is not going to be fun, is it? But see, here's the thing. My spiritual father, who was telling me he was not good at this game, was, was kind of like a card shark at the game. He was a hustler. I know how he paid for college now. He'd go hang around bowling alleys and say, I'm not very good at this. And so we bowl. And this is, this, is, this is not a lie. I know he made at least six or seven strikes. Didn't leave, leave any pins even when he had to do, get the spare. He left nothing. I mean, he, he scored like 8,000, something like that. <laughs> they gave him extra points. I'd bowl, and one time I'd do really well. I, you know, I got a strike or two. It'd go right down there, bang, knock down everything. And I'm going, I'm getting the hang of this. And the very next time I'd get up, I'd go, and the ball just go off into the gutter. <laughs> so what's the difference between my ability to bowl and Pastor Sam's ability to bowl? He knew how to control the ball, and keep it out of the gutter. This morning, we're keeping on with our series called Illuminate. We're talking about the eight times that Jesus said you're blessed. We're talking about the Beatitudes. And this morning, we're talking about being blessed when we're under control. All right? So let's just review just a little bit from the last couple of weeks. We're talking about the Beatitudes, and we said that the Beatitudes, that's actually an ancient English word for the word blessed. So when you read blessed each time, that is a Beatitude. It comes from a, a Greek word that is a three-word compound that when you break it down means an overflow of grace in you. And grace, once again, is receiving something that you've not earned and don't deserve. Let's throw the slide up. We'll go through the slide. So we've, we're moving up to number three. We've gone through number one and number two. We've talked about being blessed because we're poor in spirit. That's really those who are recognizing their inability so they can connect with God's ability. Also see that it talks about the mind, the emotions, and the will. God gave us a mind, emotions, and a will. Correct? He created us that way. 
When we get saved, we don't lose our mind, our emotions, and our will, do we? Some of you have lost your mind, but we will talk about that later, right? We don't lose our mind, our emotions, and our will. God continues to minister to us. He continues to speak to us through our mind, our emotion, and our will. Yes, he speaks to us spiritually, but think about, oh, they've already taken it down. Never mind. Uh, Think about it. Before you were saved, there was no other way that the Lord could minister to you except through your mind, your emotion, and your will. That's how we get saved. So the first week we talked about being poor in spirit, recognizing our inability so we could connect with God's ability. That's dealing with our mind. Uh, And it says that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So when we recognize our inability and we fall on God's ability, the kingdom of heaven is ours. And what is the kingdom of heaven? Not some glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away. That's not what he's talking about. He, Jesus came and said, the kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. It is God's rule and God's reign right here. In other words, it's everything that you would ever need to live this life you've been called to live. When we recognize our inability and connect with his ability, everything that you could ever need is given. All right? So then last week we talked about blessed are those who mourn. And mourning uh, was more than just, hey, you've lost somebody, so I'm sad or something like that. Mourning was really coming to the place where we recognized what we have done. We recognized we couldn't control ourselves, but we couldn't do this on our own. Now we're dealing with the fact that we've made a mess of things, okay? Um, It's remorse. It's godly sorrow for things going on in our life. It's not the effects of sin. It's actually being remorseful for the sin. Does that make sense? Not necessarily the effects of sin. We can all get upset when things go wrong in our lives, right? But God wants to deal with the root of it. God wants to deal with the root of it. So when we come to the place where where we're remorseful, it's godly sorrow, he begins to change us. And now this morning in Matthew 5, verse 5, first part of the verse says, blessed are the meek. So what is so blessed about being meek? You know, our culture actually misunderstands this biblical term here, this this biblical understanding of meekness. We hear meek, and we think weak. We hear meek, and we feel like, oh, well, that's just somebody that's real passive. Was Jesus passive? Jesus wasn't passive, was he? Now he went in the temple and kicked over tables when he needed to, right? Walked right into places and, and told the religious, everybody else was afraid of the religious leaders. He walked right in and told them uh, the straight truth. Jesus wasn't passive, but he was meek. Okay. Making sure nobody's gone to sleep yet. So, According to one commentary, commentary that I use, the Greek word translated meek here cannot be translated with just one word. 
cannot be translated with, with just one word. It has the idea of being the proper balance between anger and indifference. Meekness is in the middle. I'm not out of control over here in, in anger, and I'm, I'm not over here with, with just indifference. But there's a balance right in the middle. There's control in the middle. The, uh, that commentary went on to say that this is a powerful decision to be properly controlled. Who's making the decision? He's dealing with our will, right? Remember, he dealt with our mind. He dealt with our emotions. Now, today, we're dealing with our will. So it is a powerful decision to be properly controlled. Uh, you may have taken in your college days an, uh, an intro to ethics class. I won't ask anybody to raise their hand on that or who has forgotten every bit of it. But you may have in that class heard of, uh, heard of uh, the doctrine of the mean. And that's not mean people. You know, it's not a doctrine of how to be a mean person. Mean actually means, you know, in the middle there. And it's exactly what, what we're talking about. Uh, think about it like this. Uh, you've got somebody over here on this side who is just a miser. They just hold on to everything. They've got the money, but they won't let it go. Hold on to it, hold on to it, hold on to it. And then you've got somebody over here that is like what we would call a spendthrift. They spend every dime that they have. They've got the money, but they're spending it all. Which one of these two are of any benefit to anybody besides themselves? Neither. But generosity is in the middle. Generosity is in the middle. Generosity says, I'm going to save enough so I can be a benefit. I'm not going to hold on to it. I am going to spend some, but it's so I can be a benefit. All right? So this is really what we're talking about right here. When we're talking about meekness, it's the willful decision to be under control and not living in the extremes. But <laughs> what we learned the first week was that the poor in spirit realize that they can't even control themselves. So if I'm making a decision to be under control, I can't even control myself. And also, that mourners are grieving over all the times that they've tried to be in control and made a mess of it. So true meekness is when I fully give God control. When I willfully give God control. Poor in spirit, once again, leads us to godly sorrow for my actions, which leads me to give control over to God. You know what this is called? True repentance. True repentance, it's thinking differently. Repentance is not just, I did something wrong, I feel bad about it, Lord, forgive me. Somehow that became repentance in the church, but that is not repentance. Repentance is the Lord has changed my mind on this to such a degree that I'm doing exactly opposite of what I was doing because I see the truth now. Second Corinthians 7.10 
says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death, leads us to salvation. This godly grief leads us to this place where I am making a decision to give God control over something, understanding I can't even control myself. That's repentance. Repentance because I thought I could control everything. I thought I could do it. I thought I could make it happen. But I've recognized that I can't, which brought me to that godly sorrow, which makes me see that only God can do this. You following me? And it says it leads to salvation. We hear the word salvation and we think, you know, being born again. And yes, obviously that is part of salvation. But the word salvation means deliverance or rescue. Paul said that we should work out our deliverance or rescue daily. What is he talking about? Repentance. What's he talking about? Willfully doing what God has called us to do. My will says I will do this, knowing that I can't even control myself. It keeps going back to the beginning, right? Me and my mouth. We talked about my mouth last week, didn't we? Had to tell some stories I didn't want to tell about me and my mouth. But you know what? Just because I had that, that, that incident where me and my daughter got crossways didn't mean that my mouth just suddenly changed. Now my heart was starting to change, but my mouth was in overdrive most of the time, and it was used to being there. So repentance means do opposite, right? So what have I had to learn to do? Be quiet. That doesn't mean that I, 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 I never got mad at my daughter again. No. Does it mean that my wife and I have never gotten a fuss? No. But the change, the repentance is, the moment I open my mouth, the Holy Spirit is there. <laughs> There's sometimes that I get upset and I start saying something and I recognize it immediately. I'm going, no, no, get back in, get back in, get back in. I didn't want to say that. There's times when I've been, I, I have literally done this with my wife. I'm starting to say something because I'm starting to get upset, and I stop and go, no, that's not God. I'm being ugly about this. I'm sorry. Because there's repentance. It's change. God brings us to these places over and over throughout our walk with him. Luke 5.32 says, I've come to call I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, understand the way that, that, that Jesus is talking. Jesus was talking to Pharisees who thought that they had everything together. Because I know we, we don't want to identify as sinners. I'm not just an old sinner saved by grace. I'm a child of God. I have been redeemed. I have been changed. But I know the capacity in me to still sin, right? But Jesus was saying, I didn't come for those who thought they had it all together. You know what? You can be born again and think you have it all together, and Jesus can't really do anything in your life besides, you know, take you to heaven one day. So we've got to come to this place where we, we begin to recognize, I cannot do this. Lord, change my heart because that's who Jesus came for, those who recognize. I make a mess when I do it my way. 
So what's the result of God being in control? Back to Matthew 5, 5. It says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Inherit. There is only one Greek word that is translated inherit. However, Jesus was quoting a psalm. The psalms were not written in Greek. The psalms are from Hebrew. And Hebrew has two words that are translated inherit. And I know you're sitting on the edge of your seat going, will you share them with us? I will. Jesus was quoting Psalm 3711. It said, but the meek shall inherit the land. So there's two Hebrew words that can be translated inherit. The first is nakal, N-A-C-H-A-L. And it is a birthright. A birthright. This is what we usually think of when we think of inheritance. Something that I get because of who I am. My grandfather died in 1999, and I inherited a rifle from him. That rifle has been sitting in a closet since 1999. See, the thing is, it may be your birthright, and you may have inherited it, but only you can choose to use it. So whether you use your birthright or not is totally up to you. The second word is yarash, Y-A-R-A-S-H. And it means to occupy by driving out, to, ha- to take hold of. Now I'm going to give you one guess. Which one was Jesus talking about? Here's a hint, the second one. The second one. We, ha- we may have a birthright as a child of God, but we still have to take hold of our inheritance. We still have to step into it. That rifle is doing me no good as long as it's sitting in a closet. Right? It's my inheritance, but I'm not using it. I have to take it and use it. And it's a pretty cool rifle, too. Lever action like an old cowboy. <laughs> Used to play with it when I was a kid. I'm sure that's why I got it. I've tried to spin it like the, the, the rifleman. Doesn't work very well. At least not for me. But listen to this. Have you ever heard of Jehovah Shalom? God our peace? That's your inheritance by your birthright. By the fact that you are a child of God. That's your birthright. That's your Nicole. But guess what? If you don't rush it, if you don't take hold of it, it's not going to do any good for you. We live, in, we live in a society that is so full of anxiety, so full of fear. Right? All the time. And there's medications that you can take for anxiety. There's nothing wrong with taking medication if you need it, but that medication is only going to deal with the fruit, with the anxiety. Jehovah uh, Shalom wants to deal with the root of it. So we have it as our birthright. We have the Nikal, but we have to yorash it. Isaiah 57, 13. Kind of shows this. 
It says, but he who takes refuge in me shall possess Nacal, inherit by birthright the land, and shall inherit Narash, my holy mountain. So what is he saying here? He's saying the land is yours by birthright. But if you're going to connect with me, you're going to have to go after it. So for us, we, we have this relationship with the Lord because we've been born into the kingdom of God through our salvation experience. That's our Nicole. But if you want to go for holiness, you want to go after his holy mountain, you really want to know him, you really want to press into him, you're going to have to yarosh it. You're going to have to step into it. You're going to have to press into it. So what does God really want us to take care of? Take hold of, I'm sorry. What does God really want us to take hold of? Well, as the scripture says, the earth or the land. Now, in the, in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, when they spoke this way about the land or the earth, they were talking about the promised land. The promised land. In Genesis 15, 7, God speaking to Abraham and he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out, of, out from your of Chaldeans to give you this land, Yerosh. He said, I've brought you out for this land, but you're going to have to possess it. Take hold of it. Deuteronomy 4.38 says, driving out, Yerosh, driving out, taking hold of this land before uh, before you, nations of greater and mightier than you, to bring you in, to give you the land as an inheritance. That's the Nicole. He brings us to a place because of who we are through him. But if we're going to press into the truth of it, we've got to urosh it. We have got to take hold of it. You have got to press in. In the New Testament, we have a spiritual promised land. It's your birthright, but you're going to have to take hold of it by faith. So if I was rewriting, if I, if I had like a, a, an assignment in, in college to rewrite this verse that we've just looked at, this is how I would write it. There's an overflow of grace for those who choose not to live in the extremes but give God control. For they will take hold of the promises of God because he rules in their lives. Unfortunately, we sometimes think we have it under control, don't we? I can do this. I can handle this. We're Americans. Even worse, we're Texans. I can do this. I can make it happen. I can push through. I'm a man. When... Uh, Back in the day, I used to do media production, and uh, one, one of the jobs that we had was shooting all of the TISD football games. And I'm on the field one Friday night, and there was a, a kid from Tyler High. He was a running back, and he got tackled, and he broke his ankle. And I'm standing not too far from him, and I can see he's laying one way, and his ankle, his whole foot is going the other way. It was bad. 
It was bad. But you know what he was doing? The coaches all ran out. He go, I'm, I'm good, coach. I'm good. I can do it. I can, I can do it. How often do we do that? I'm hurt. I'm wounded. I cannot do this. And the coach is going, hey, hey, you, you did a good game. It was a good game. We're going to take care of you. We're going to take care. How much more, more does the Heavenly Father want to take care of us? Amen. Why are we still trying to do it ourselves? Why are we still trying to prove that we're good enough to a God who loves you unconditionally? He doesn't love you because you're good enough. He loves you just because he loves you. So we have to come to this place where we realize I can't do it without God. That's the first step. I realize my mind. And then emotionally, I come to the place where I don't want to do it without God. And then my will, I choose not to do it without God. Remember the story of the prodigal son? And this kind of wraps up everything that I'm talking about this morning. The prodigal son goes to his dad and says, give me my inheritance. Give me my nakal. Give me what is due to me because of who I am. Because I was born to you, give it to me. And then he goes out and he wastes it on the extremes Remember the Bible says he went out on riotous living. He wasted everything that he had on riotous living to the point that he was so poor and so broke, he had to go work for a farmer who was raising pigs. Are Jews even supposed to be around pigs? No. You understand the reason Jesus was telling this story? He was like, this is about as bad as you can get. From one extreme to the other, wasting everything. And then over here, having nothing. It's the extremes. And this story is in uh, Luke 15, if you want to go look at it sometime. But this is what, what it says. It says, he came to himself. He recognized his spiritual poverty, his inability to do it himself. He came to himself. And he said, I'll go to my father, and this is what I'm going to say. Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. That's remorse. That's mourning. That's godly sorrow. Not only did he recognize that he couldn't do it, that he had made a mess, but he was truly sorry because of it. And then he said, treat me as one of your hired servants. That's repentance. What he was really saying was, Father, take control because I can't control myself. But did the Father make him a servant? No. My mom's down here prompting me. No. What did the Father do? Restored him right? Restored him. So often we, we pull away from the Lord and we don't even realize we're doing it sometimes, but it's because I can do this myself. You're just saying, God, just, hey, you just sit over here. 
I'll take care of it, God. We're not consciously saying it, but that's what our actions are saying. I can take care of this. I can take care of this. I can take care of this. And then we find ourselves in the piggy pen. I can't take care of it. And then we recognize what a mess I've made. And I'm not, I'm not broken because of the mess I've created. I'm truly broken because my relationship with the Lord is not where it should be. That's what I'm really saying. That's what the godly sorrow is about. Lord, my relationship with you could be so much, so much more if I was just doing it your way. And then we go to him and he brings us to a place of repentance and he does not go, okay, now you're gonna have to work this off. You've wasted time. You've wasted inheritance. Now you've gotta work it off. You gotta make it up. But if you do, if you do enough good things, it'll, it'll counteract all the bad and dumb things you were doing. That's not how the Lord treats us. Thank God. It says he restored him. He showed up in rags. And the father said, go get a robe. Go get the finest robe and put it on my son. This is what the enemy wants to keep you from. That's the reason he keeps pushing you to do it yourself. Do it yourself. He's trying to keep you from this robe. He's trying to keep you from this place of provision from the Lord. He's trying to keep you from this place of restoration with the Lord. The Father restored him. So the question is, are we eating with pigs or are we wearing the robe of righteousness? The real question is, who controls you? Who controls you? Will you pray with me? Father. Father, Father, Father. We acknowledge right now. We acknowledge right now who we are. We acknowledge places where we've not put you in control. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would just begin to show us. Show us those places. Lord, we don't intentionally do this. We love you. We want to be with you, but we find ourselves under pressure. We find ourselves in places we didn't expect to be, and we just try to fix it ourselves. But Lord, you didn't create us to fix it ourselves. You have called us to run to you, to come to you, and let you be the God of fixing it. Lord, there are places where we have a birthright. We have a Nicole. We have an inheritance because we have come into the kingdom. Because we're born again, we have this this inheritance. 
But Lord, we choose to take hold of it. We choose to press in by faith. We choose to put ourselves underneath your control. Lord, we choose to be the meek. We choose, Lord. We choose. We choose it. In Jesus' name. Amen. While we're just praying, while we're just praying, I don't know what's going on in your life, but the Lord knows what's going on in your life. He knows you inside and out. As scripture tells us, he knows every hair on your head or the original number, as some say. Lord, you know us so well. If you're sitting here this morning and you're just saying, you know what, I've tried to be in control myself, but I want to choose I want to choose to release whatever it is. You may have tried to control family members and it's not working. You may have tried to control situations and it's not working. You may have tried to control uh, financial situations and it's not working. You may have tried to control uh, health situations and it's not working. If you're just saying here this morning, Lord, I want to be meek. I want you to be in control. Just put your hand up for a second. I mean, no, nobody's, nobody's looking. We're just, this, this is just an, an act of God. Take over. Take over. Take over. Take over. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Hands all over the room. You can put your hands down. Lord, you see these ones that uh, have raised their hands. Lord, they're saying, take over. They're saying, take over. Lord, they're saying that from here on out, they're going to do it differently. They're going to stop trying to, to make it happen for themselves. But they're going to let you take control. Lord, we know that when you take control, it may not look anything like what we wanted it to look like, but it's best. It's best for us because you know what's best for us. Lord, I pray that for every one of these that raise their hand, Lord, that you would do what only you can do in their lives. Jesus' name, amen.